Please turn with me this Easter morning in your Bibles if to the uh, 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, John chapter 20, where we'll pick up at verse 24 and go through the 31st verse, John chapter 20, verse 24. We come today as on every Lord's Day, but especially on this Lord's Day, to the celebration of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus from the dead, his triumph over death, his opening of the way to eternal life for us. It is a day of rejoicing, it is a day of happiness, a day that, if we receive this news rightly, thrills our hearts and fills them with joy and peace and gladness, the peace that passes all understanding. But the first, the first Easter day was not that way for one disciple by the name of Thomas. He was not with the other disciples, the ten, when Jesus appeared to them that Easter evening. Stricken with grief, Thomas was separate from them, was off by himself when the others were gathered for what would become an impromptu evening worship service with the risen Lord Jesus himself appearing in the midst of them. It would not be until a week later on another Sunday evening that Thomas would be brought from the dark gloom of uh, his doubts to the brightness of joyful faith. He is sometimes called a doubting Thomas. We find out why in the text that we're about to read that he received that name over the years, but I thank God for Thomas, and many of you do as well. For in Thomas, in his doubts, and in the alleviation of those doubts, we find ourselves, when we are honest, both at the lowest ebbs of struggle in the Christian life and at the highest of joy as well. John chapter 20, verse 24, but first a prayer. Our Father in heaven, speak to us, we pray, and open thy word, for this is indeed the word that you have inspired. It was you who had John pen these words and have preserved these words to this very day, that we too may hear the voice of God. Speak for your servants are listening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. That is, with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do you do not disbelieve, 
but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, You have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John the Evangelist tells us the story of the appearance of Jesus to the disciples, first to Mary Magdalene, then to the disciples, and now to Thomas, so as to illustrate, as one observer has noted, the passage from sight to faith. John, the beloved disciple, believes when he sees the grave clothes. Mary Magdalene believes when she hears a well-known voice pronounce her name. The ten apostles, when they see the Lord's wounds. St. Thomas, when he sees those same wounds and is invited to handle them. But better... Better than all of these is a faith that needs no support from the experiences of the senses, of the eyes. You see what that means for you here in this room this morning. What it means, of course, is that faith for you And for me, in these early days of the 21st century, I say faith must be for us two things. Faith for us must be more difficult than when the disciples who saw his hands and sign believed, who ate and walked physically with Jesus after his resurrection from the dead. But being more difficult, this faith of ours, nevertheless, faith for us is also More blessed. Blessed are those, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. About whom was Jesus speaking? Who was Jesus talking about? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Why? He's talking about you and about me about all those here this morning who are trusting and resting upon Jesus Christ alone for eternal life. Blessed are we who have not seen and yet have believed. I want this morning to consider those two points. First, the difficulty of faith and also the blessedness of faith. First, the difficulty. Where was Thomas anyway? Where where in the world was he? The disciples are gathered in that room. The door is locked. Jesus appears to them, shows them his hands and sighed. Where is Thomas? Where are you, man? I think in the answer to that question, we begin to understand why faith is so difficult. We don't know a whole lot about Thomas. We really don't. We certainly don't know enough to make any sort of exhaustive profile about this disciple. And yet we have some clues 
about Thomas. In fact, we, what we have com- comes completely from this Gospel of John. Thomas is silent in the other Gospels, but twice we hear from him in John. First, Thomas's voice is heard in that resigned but impressively loyal uh, expression of willingness to go with Jesus to Bethany in chapter 11, willingness to go and even to die with Jesus, where the Jews are waiting with bated breath to kill him. And then again in chapter 14, it is Thomas who is the spokesman for all those who have not grasped the basic content of Jesus' statements about going away to the Father. Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know the way to where you're going. So how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going, rather. So how can we know the way? Based on those glimpses now of of Thomas, we imagine a very loyal person. Very loyal person in Thomas. Faithful and true to his master, yet one who needs to be absolutely convinced before he believes, before he acts. There's nothing rash about Thomas, nothing impetuous about Thomas, nothing flighty about Thomas. In fact, there's something even sort of gloomy about Thomas. He certainly has a melancholy in his character. So we can imagine why Thomas was missing that Easter evening. He's alone. He's alone, we can imagine, trying to come to terms with what has just transpired. His, his, his Lord, his Master, to whom Thomas had, had devoted these past three years, for whom he had willingly gone to suffering and ridicule and danger, this Lord whom he loves so dearly with all his heart, has been snatched away from him, has been executed in that in the worst conceivable Way The most excruciating and terrible punishment Rome could, in her wicked mind, devise. Death by crucifixion. The Lord whom he has adored, he has been crushed in every way and ripped away from Thomas. And the grief is overwhelming. Thomas's world has been shattered. And if... Ever there was a time in his life that Thomas felt so completely alone, even betrayed by providence. This was it. Even fellowship with the other disciples is simply distasteful now to the one who has been turned in on himself in the contemplation of these things. So when Thomas is told by the other disciples that we've seen the Lord, it's, it's understandable, isn't it? That he should respond with, not with faith, but, but rather with, unless I seal and see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. They were the words of one who had been deeply, deeply wounded. It was the voice of heartbreak. It snapped back bitterly, even at closest friends. His faith had been put to the test before, but never like this. And in the emotional morass and the depth of the darkness and the grief, he could not even bring himself to say, as he'd heard another say to the Lord before, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. 
Have you noticed this? Have you noticed that the greatest difficulties posed to those who would otherwise believe and place their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation, or to those who even who have trusted in him but whose faith is shaken somehow, that, that it is not so much by intellectual doubt. It's not so much by intellectual doubt. It's not so much that the arguments of other world views are so much more compelling and intellectually satisfying than the scriptures. It's not so much, for instance, that the arguments for evolution are so much more convincing or compelling than, than the arguments for God having created the world by the word of his power. No, among the greatest obstacles to faith and to trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation are often those of personal pain and struggle. Most everyone, everyone really, sometimes struggles with doubt. At one time or another, particularly in the wake of crises and trials. And at such times it's easy to say, so easy to say, unless I see myself, I simply, I simply will not believe. I can't have hope. I can't have faith. I can't believe. And I won't. This is the voice of pain. Oftentimes of pain that speaks this way. It's the voice of one who simply can't see through his tears. Through the blur of his tears or through her dark night of the soul. But that, of course, gets to the very root of faith. Because faith, the Bible says is the sure and certain hope that what God has said is sure and true, altogether trustworthy, and it is solid enough to me, for me to rely upon for my very life. Even, even if my own little bitty limited experience at this moment seems to contradict it. Can you see why it is the pains of this life that can so blind us as not to see the truth? Can you see why doubt can be so overwhelming as to even over, overturn true and real faith? And why it is so easy instead to give in to doubt, to give ourselves over to distress, even to rebellion against God and against His Word? It's easy to say. It is easy to say. When I see it, I will believe it. And it is so very hard to believe based on someone else's testimony. It was hard for Thomas. <laughs> based on their other testimony of them, these witnesses, and they were still alive. He knew them personally. They were standing all around of them, ten of them, in the flesh, trustworthy men, saying the very same thing. Our witnesses, our eyewitnesses anyway, have been dead for these 2,000 years almost. It can be hard to believe. It is hard to believe, based on ancient testimony that Jesus rose from death and that he will rise one day again. Faith is hard. 
But that is exactly what you must have. By God's grace, if you will find peace for your disquieted soul, and every soul is, you know, that has not Christ, your soul, every one of your souls, know instinctively it's built into you that you are made for a relationship with Christ. How did Augustine, the great profligate turned disciple, put it? O Lord, thou hast created us for thyself and our hearts are restless until They find their rest in thee. I don't know. I don't know what you've suffered in this life, this veil of tears. Many of you have suffered much. Many of you are still suffering today, this very moment. And the pain to which you cling, the very pain to which you are holding is also the very obstacle that keeps you away from Christ, from placing your full faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. Perhaps you've even blamed Christ for your pain. Turn. Turn by the grace of God. Turn to Christ. Lay it down finally. Loosen your grip on your own distress and come to Him and give that pain over to Him. And oh, what comfort you will find. Unspeakable for your soul. Augustine again, if a man will only despise these obstacles from the world and overcome them, If despite all opposers, he will go on until Christ is evidently and plainly with him. Then they who began by reprehending him will finish by applauding. For all those who have done so, who have reckoned with the difficulties of faith that stand between them and believing in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and who by God's grace have overcome them, there has been this delightful discovery. Second, the blessedness of faith. Having undergone faith's difficulties, Thomas knew its blessedness Two, upon having his obstacle, in this case, we imagine the pain of having lost a Savior, removed by the Lord, he fairly bursts out in that glorious profession of faith that rings down the corridors of time. My Lord and my God. And that same blessedness of faith he has granted over And over and over again, over the centuries since. For Martin Luther, it was that moment he says, as if the gates of heaven were flung open before him. For others, it's been like a great light shed upon their soul. 
for Pascal, the French mathematician and man of letters, it was this late night experience of having all obstacles, all, all blinders removed when Christ came and showed himself to his soul, which he recalls in his own words this way. Certainty. Joy. Peace. I forget the world and everything but God. Righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Jesus, Jesus, I separated myself from him eternally. Renounced and crucified him. I submit myself absolutely to Jesus Christ, my Redeemer. That's the joy of one whose obstacles have been removed, whose blinders have been removed, whose doubts have been changed to the certainty of faith, firm and sure. And that's the great blessedness of faith, you see, that we, sinful creatures as we are, every one of us shot through with sin, that we, even we, can bring glory to the living God by placing our adoring trust in His Son. That we can praise Him with those very same words. Even here in this house this morning, my Lord, my God. And how can I, you say? How can I overcome these obstacles? How can I hurdle these things? Whatever that obstacle may be, your pain, perhaps, or your intellectual objections, or your love, For this sin or that sin which you simply are not willing to relinquish, you will not give them up for Christ. How can you overcome these obstacles? Well, I have bad news. And I have good news. The bad news is, you can't. The good news is, God can And he does. And he will. If you but ask. This the Lord has done over and over again. Look, God knows your thoughts. Every one of you in this room, he is is reading your thoughts. He knows every thought of your mind, of your heart. Right now, he hears them all. And he knows exactly what it is that blocks you from him. He knows your doubts and their every detail. Watch this. Watch how he comes to Thomas and answers his doubts exactly the way he had voiced them. Listen to this. Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Exactly what Thomas had said. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And he will do the same for you. Seek me, says the Lord. And when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me, saith the Lord. He is pleased to remove those obstacles 
by His grace so that you may believe. He did it for Thomas, He'll do it for you. Now, now, this is not to say that Jesus is suddenly going to appear to you in your house one day, physically before you one evening, and reach out His hands for you to, to touch His hands. Nor should you demand such a thing of Him. But come to you, He will. He most certainly will. Ask any true Christian, and He will tell you. She will testify to you that it is so, for He has come to them. As alive today as he was then, he has come to them and by his spirit he has revealed himself to them and says, Oh, so tenderly and lovingly to doubting souls every day all over the world. This day, today he will do it to even more. He will come and he will say, Do not disbelieve, but believe. And they will. And I pray you will. You see, it is he who overcomes our obstacles, the one who, who loves. The scripture says it's marvelous. He says in the Bible, he loves to show mercy. God loves to show mercy. He loves to remove obstacles, to glorify himself by making his strength perfect in your weakness. And then what's even more blessed is that this is always the case. The most doubtful of men and women, once their unbelief is overcome and faith is made theirs by grace, I say it is always those very folk who make the firmest and surest and fullest believers. This too is demonstrated all through the history of the church from doubting Thomas to doubting Watergate convict Charles Colson. And at every point in between, Richard Baxter records it as his experience that nothing is so firmly believed as that which hath once been doubted. Nothing is so firmly believed as that which was at one time doubted. A.B. Bruce, in his classic work, The Training of the Twelve, put it this way. He writes, Doubters have eventually become the soundest and even the warmest believers. Doubt itself is a cold thing. And, as in the case of Thomas, it often utters harsh and heartless sayings. Nor need this surprise us, for when the mind is in doubt, the soul is in darkness. And during the chilly night, the heart becomes frozen. But... When the daylight of faith comes, the frost melts. The hearts that once seemed hard and stony show themselves capable of generous enthusiasm and ardent devotion. You watch the flowers after this cold snap is over come bursting forth from the ground. What God's grace can do with a frozen mass and turn it into a glorious bouquet. And if... A.B. Bruce is right, and all of Scripture and history rise up to say he is, then it is entirely possible that the very hearts here in this room who remain in the darkness, frozen in the chilly night of unbelief, can, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, be melted, 
the stoniest of hearts be exchanged for hearts of flesh, the darkness of your unbelief be exchanged for the light of faith and trust in the risen and living Lord Jesus Christ, and then be filled with a blessedness which, according to the Lord himself, surpasses even that of rejoicing Thomas on that wonderful evening in the presence of his Lord and his God. Listen to him. You have believed, Jesus says, because you've seen me, Thomas. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He was talking about us. Now, does he mean, for those of you who are skeptical here today, does Jesus mean that they are blessed who simply believe without inquiring into what they believe? Is that true faith and true blessedness to sort of check your brains at the door and come in and believe against everything? Not at all. The Lord is not bestowing his blessing on credulity. But he is bestowing his blessing on those who, though they have not seen with their own physical eye, have nonetheless seen through the eyes of the eyewitnesses and who have received their testimony as true, having investigated and studied and considered and prayed, having been satisfied that, yes, the word of God is true and this Christ is who he said and says he is and has demonstrated himself to be. It is the faith that is founded on fact And that, friends, is the very purpose of this whole book. John writes in verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written, why? That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Augustine, while still in his unbelief, sat in that garden, you remember, in Milan. And as he sat there, he heard the children playing their games with each other and calling out to each other, Tolalege! 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 Take up and read! Take up and read! And Augustine did just exactly that. And when he took up the scripture and read, suddenly the light dispelled his darkness and his hardened unbelief was replaced with the joyful, blessed faith that Christ gives through his word. Now you, friends, you take up and read. Tola lege. Take up and read. If you would overcome the difficulties of faith and find that blessedness of living in Christ, take up and read. That's what the scripture is for. Take up and read what is written. And as you do, You plead with the Lord, and you do not rest until he shed that light upon your heart as washes out every shadow of dark unbelief and replaces it and floods it with faith and trust and obedience and love. Martin Luther wants to find faith this way. It's simply a sure and steadfast looking to Christ. That's all faith is. It is a sure and steadfast looking to Christ. And that is precisely what Thomas did. 
what every saint before and since has done and what you must do. Place the eyes of your souls, which is faith, surely and steadfastly on Christ. And I tell you this, and mark my words, as you do it, and because you do it, and the more you do it, the more and more you will have reason to cry out with joy unspeakable and full of glory, my Lord and my God. For all thy rankling doubts so sore, love thou thy Savior still. Him for thy Lord and God adore and ever do his will. Though vexing thoughts may seem to last, let not thy soul be quite or cast. Soon will he show thee all his wounds and say, Long have I known thy name. Know thou my face. Always. Amen.